got out of the shower, checked myself over and looked on my left shoulder and there was this big black spot. Um, hadn't noticed it before. My husband hadn't noticed it before either. Um, and I thought, oh, okay, that's new. Maybe it's a blood blister from the chafing. And so I just thought, oh yeah, it's a blood blister. It'll go, you know, it'll go, I'll just leave it. But then a week later, I, um, I took the twins over to go and visit my parents. Um, my dad is a plastic surgeon and um, one of the things that he did or does is melanoma management. And he said when he saw it, his heart just sank to the bottom of his stomach because he knew that it was nasty. And he said to me later that um, he could actually almost see my future as a result of this mold. Welcome to the RMA podcast. host Nicole Bunyan, founder of Running Mums Australia. Each episode I will be speaking to everyday women who have an inspiring story to tell. We will cover the highs and lows of their own journey, the impact motherhood has had on their life and how running has inspired them to live wilder, dream bigger and change the world around them. Thank you for joining us on this new adventure that will hopefully leave an imprint for you to live out your own life inspired to conquer goals you never thought possible. In 2017, Sarah Terrell had just run her third half marathon at the Run Melbourne Festival when she noticed a blister on the back of her shoulder. This blister was actually a mole and Sarah showed her father who was a plastic surgeon of over 50 years. When Sarah's dad saw this mole, he was quite alarmed and sent her off to a specialist. This mole was actually an aggressive malignant melanoma. Sarah had had the necessary treatment required for this melanoma initially and fast forward to 2020, she had some signs that there might be something wrong. Sarah's melanoma had spread to her spine, lungs and brain. Sarah is now diagnosed with stage four malignant melanoma. During this episode, we talked to Sarah about her journey battling stage four melanoma. We talk about what it's like to live with cancer and how she shares this experience with her loved ones, especially her young children. We talked to Sarah about her journey as a runner and also the things that she looks forward to the most in life. This conversation will leave you inspired and make you question your own choices around sun safety and together we can create awareness around how to avoid skin cancer. Hopefully this podcast will help you recognize the dangers of being in the sun without adequate sun protection and also some of the warning signs that you might notice yourself on your own skin that might warrant you to go get checked. Um, which is part of my own story when I was diagnosed a few years ago now with a melanoma on my own body. I wanted to thank Sarah for being so brave and open in sharing her story. And I know that it will leave you inspired and it might be a little bit tough to listen to at times. But it's through these powerful stories like Sarah's that we can make a difference and an impact in our nation. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocram Massage Gel. 
PhysioCram has been helping running mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and PhysioCram has our back. To get your own PhysioCram, head to www.physiocram.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find PhysioCram at your local pharmacy. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. This is a massive honour to be able to, to speak to you. So thank you for asking me. Oh, you're welcome. I um, actually wanted to have you on the podcast because a while back I posted in RMA about my journey with skin cancer, um, which is something close to my heart that I like to make sure people are aware of every single year. A few times a year, I'll post specifically on that topic just because we're runners and we're out in the sun a lot and we're out active outdoors. Um, And you're one of the people that commented on that particular post that day. And when you told me your story and then later on, you know, I messaged you privately and we went through your story. um, I was actually quite shocked (laughs) at first that Oh, <laughs> someone was dealing with such a thing that was in our network and, and being a huge network of, you know, around 40,000 people, there are going yeah. to be people dealing with lots and lots of different things like that. But I guess it just really resonates how important these issues are when it's a real person behind that keyboard <laughs> sharing their story with you. And I really wanted to thank you for coming on today because your story, as we'll hear tonight, um, is is really brave one that you're sharing um, and very personal. So I want to thank you for sharing that with our network and hopefully by sharing your journey, it's going to make a lot of women aware of the dangers of being in the sun or skin cancer or um, just checking things that aren't quite right with our bodies. Um, So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say thank you before we start for coming on and being so brave to share today. Oh, look, it's my absolute pleasure, Nicole. Like I said, um, I have absolutely nothing to hide. I'm happy to say, to tell you anything you want to know um, because it is such a massively important message that we need to hear. Um, melanoma isn't terribly well understood by a lot of people. It's it's a cancer with no rules whatsoever. It can pop up, you know, in the in the craziest of places and at the craziest of times so it's just wonderful to have the chance to promote awareness of it all and on behalf of some of my fellow melanoma sufferers who i know are going to be very keen to hear how the podcast goes so thank you for the opportunity bring it on (laughs) bring it on um so obviously we've just introduced that the podcast today will be um the theme we're, we're sharing is around skin cancer But before we dive right into that, um, let's talk about you and your background, um, how you Mm -hmm. found RMA and everything like that. So let's start where you uh, reside now and where did you come from? Because you said you weren't born in Australia. So where did you spend your childhood? Give us a little bit of background about you. Sure. Um, Well, I was actually born in the UK. Um, My father's Australian, my mum is British. Um, I suppose I'm technically English, but not really. And so until I was about eight years old, my brother and I and my parents moved backwards and forwards from London because my dad is a doctor, mum's a nurse. And so they were doing medical training over there. Um, So I have the quintessential English skin. I have green eyes, blonde hair. Um, I have super fair skin with freckles everywhere. 
Um, and so I'm a sitting duck, basically. And my brother and I and our friends, you know, we used to grow up getting sunburnt at the start of summer and having peeling competitions. You know, who can get the biggest piece of skin? Oh, it's disgusting, I know, but, you know, we used to do it. Um, and so we were very much children of the 80s. I'm in my mid-40s now, and um, we were kids of the 80s, you know, sun, baby oil at lunchtime in school dresses. Yes. Um, what else? you sort of people would say oh you've got to get your skin burnt once to condition it for the rest of the summer and then you'll be ready to roll and all the rest of it which <laughs> oh god but um it when was, you think back now you think it sounds ridiculous doesn't it now that we know what we know but i had the uh, same thing i was the one who put the baby oil out in the sun and you yep. go red first but then you go brown you thought oh great well i've got the brown now and that's just what uh, you did. It was like, it was common. It was what we did. It was. And it was, it was basically, you know, the, the more tanned you were, the cooler you were. Yeah. And if you came back to school at the start of term one with an, you know, a, a, an amazing suntan, then it's like, oh my God, you're so gorgeous. Where did you go? <laughs> anyway, especially in Melbourne where I live now, mm. um, you know, there aren't that many places that you can, well, actually, no, there are, there are lots of beaches and things you can go to, but um of course there are but um yeah it's not like living in queensland where everyone's perpetually suntanned or um you know can go to the beach in the warmth so in melbourne you know it was a prized asset to have a good suntan. yeah um i never got one i just got freckles um <laughs> yeah. but um freckles that morphed into some type of brown <laughs> that you thought yeah well it kind of blended a bit and looked yeah. a bit smudgy and i tried my best and yes that that was the issue when you were young as a child were you active like out in the sun a lot oh yeah definitely um we used to do the old 80s windsurfing thing mm. <laughs> down on the mornington peninsula um so that was definitely a summer thing winter um oh look probably when i got to high school i started running um my dad loved it as well until he did his achilles when i was at university but um yeah we used to go running um i played hockey i was very um heavily into rowing when i was in high school um so that was probably from the age of about 14 onwards so that again that was a summer sport um but no loved loved sport and we were outdoors quite a lot you know we played tennis we did all sorts of things so yeah definitely all minus hats of course so well, that's yeah. right back then <laughs> think about putting hats on and maybe you might have slapped a bit of sunscreen on but wasn't really something you thought much about and no. it didn't have the effect the sunscreen back then was what i don't even know 15, 15 plus so yeah it was 15 it wasn't, wasn't going <laughs> to was too yeah that's right <laughs> So yeah. being so active and being outdoors, you know, and not using sunscreen when you were young, and they say that that's the time when all the damage is done when we're young. So, mm -hmm. yeah, both of us share that experience, I'm sure, from being children and being active and out in the sun a lot. So you started running when you were in high school. You said your dad was a big runner. What was that journey like? Did you just dabble in sort of cross-country at school or did you take yourself to fun runs or out around the block? What kind of running did you do? Um, it was more out around the block. Um, I didn't do fun runs until probably, um, yeah, I got beyond high school. Um, but we used it as a complement for our rowing training. So that's probably where it started and why. Um, but it was also nice running with Dad because, yeah, we could chat at the same time and, um, yeah, it was lovely. And we were about the same pace back then. 
fair to say that didn't last because I'm Cliff Young Shuffler from way back. Um, but it was lovely to be able to sort of go out on a Sunday morning and have a have a little, you know, have a quick trot with Dad, and it's um, yeah, it was great. Yeah, loved it. So you mentioned to me in our messages that you have run three half marathons in your running career <laughs> yes I'm very, I'm very proud of that very yeah, very so proud what led to the first half marathon for you what was that journey uh, look, ever since I um was at uni I thought it would be fantastic to do a half because I'd started getting up to sort of 10s 15s that kind of thing um thought yeah that would be the ultimate that would be really good um but then things just happened you know you had to go and get a job um I ended up, well, got married, had children, all that kind of stuff. And look, I was probably a bit lazy as well. I just went, mm, you know, whatever, that'll happen later. Um, but the first half was after I'd had kids and I thought, yeah, okay, long runs are great because there are, I've got three kids under 18 months at home and I need to get out of the house. <laughs> so yeah. um, getting out of the house was really important. And so... Um, yeah, I just thought, okay, now it's time. Let's do it. It feels great. feels right. Let's just go. And so I started training sort of 2013, about six months after the twins were born and did a few tens and then just thought, yep, let's go. And it was one of the best days of my life. It was so good. Which (laughs) which half marathon was it? Which one? It was the Melbourne half. Mm. And um, I did it with a friend of mine who, it was her first one as well. No, it was her second or third, my beautiful friend, Simone. Um, and we did it together oh. and tried to keep a decent pace. And it, yeah, it was just the best day. It was the best day. I burst into tears when I crossed the finish line. <laughs> it was just wonderful. Oh. Crap time, but it was the best run ever. I loved it. <laughs> so what, what was it that you loved so much about not only the race itself, which is obviously the culmination of all that hard work and training you put in. Or was it about that experience working towards your half marathon that you love so much? Uh, Well, as I said before, getting out of the house for Mm -hmm. a two hour long run was pretty nice. Number one. Um, (laughs) But also I was doing a bit of training with a friend, so it was great to catch up with her. But it was just because I'd been thinking and imagining it for such a long time, thinking it was almost insurmountable. And um, when I did my first long run over 20Ks, I can remember sitting down and stretching and looking up at the sky going, oh, my God, this is addictive. It's just like, you know, it's like a drug. I've got to keep going. I love it so much. And um, it just went from there. It was about keeping my head in the place it needed to be because life was hardcore back at home. Because <laughs> what was it like trying to train? I mean, you, you said to me when, when I asked you, you know, told you some of the questions I was going to ask, one of the things you said was that you, when you started the running with the kids, so you've got a, a daughter um, and then you've got two, so, some twins. So Alice is nine, Jack and Eliza are seven and a half now. But back then, when they were so little, like... That's right. How did you get out of the house? Like, you had a double pram? Triple pram. <laughs> what did you have? <laughs> Triple pram. No, it was, it was double in that the, the twins sat in the front facing forward um, and Alice sat in a little jockey seat on the top. So yeah. it was, I mean, that, that pram without children in it weighed 17 kilos. <laughs> it was a monster and it was purple. We bought it secondhand and it was this just... 
Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> well, well, it did the trick. I mean, I could fit yeah. a whole load of groceries underneath it. It was huge. But um, it, it's just, um, it was vast. But there, there's a park nearby that's got some really nice flat um, trails. And so I thought, well, look, if I jog gently with the two, you know, with the three kids in there, um, I'll see how I go. And it was, that wasn't too bad because, I mean, the tyres were air tyres. Mm. Um, but it did look pretty funny. I got some pretty interesting looks, um, like, what the hell is she doing? Because <laughs> it's a pretty confronting sight. Um, plus, we had the dog in tow as well because we had, a, oh. we had a, little, a little dog back then. But, um, yeah, it was, it was just hilarious. Um, but it was just like, okay, if I can't leave you here, and there were some days where I just took two of them or I took you know, or I left them behind. My husband's amazing, by the way. He's he's so supportive. And but there were times when I I had to take them. Yeah. It wasn't more often than not, but it was um it was a pretty good resistance training exercise. Put it that way. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure those looks yeah. you were getting weren't like, oh, what's going on there? They were like, wow, go you, superwoman. <laughs> uh, no, I think there was a bit of craziness, crazy lady. <laughs> But I don't know if, if any of your members live in um, live near Mooney Ponds or, or West Brunswick, where I am. Um, there's a hill that goes from Brunswick West up to Mooney Ponds Junction, which is about 500 metres, and the hill is decent. Mm. And it's got a lemon tree at the start and a lemon tree right at the end, and that would be our benchmark. And I'd start, I'd run just a couple of hundred metres, you know, with the, with the pram, and then we try and get further and further and further and just feel like vomiting at the end of it. So, um, yeah. So if anyone knows that hill, they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, they probably will. <laughs> There'll be someone that knows that hill, I know. <laughs> so you did the Melbourne one, and then what was the second one? Oh, that was Gold Coast, and oh. that was just amazing. Loved it so much. Yeah. Um, but the, the third one was Run Melbourne in 2017 and um it was also my um yeah my husband had just started running as well um so he was doing the half and i was doing the half and we had babysitters looking after the kids so it was we called it a date which is <laughs> twisted i know but it was actually Funny a really date. fun date well you got to take him when you get him you know <laughs> we did go out for breakfast afterwards so we we did think it was a date um so yes it was run melbourne in 2017 which is normally in about July or June. Yeah. yeah. And was that your last race? Yeah. Uh, last half. Last yeah. I've done a few tens since then. And I've done, um, well, actually the City to Sea, which is the equivalent of Sydney's City to Surf. It's about the same distance. Um, used to love doing that race. Um, but they stopped doing it. So um, that was a real bugger. But no, we've just been doing tens and things like that after. So, yeah, that was my last half. Yeah. So we'll get into now what happened after that last half marathon. So this is where your journey with skin cancer really began. After that last half marathon, you noticed a mole that was on your shoulder. So let's dive into that experience. Um, when did you discover that and, and what did that turn out to be for you? Sure. Well, as everyone knows, when you wear a really bad 
bra or clothes when you're running and you have a shower, the chafing in the shower is absolutely agonizing. It's a horrendous feeling, but you know, that's, that's not a bad thing. But it gave me a chance to sort of survey where the chafing had happened because I stupidly chose to wear the wrong bra for this half marathon. And it was, oh God, anyway, stupid. No amount of body glide could have stopped this chafing. But anyway, um, so got out of the shower, checked myself over and looked on my left shoulder and there was this big black spot. Um, hadn't noticed it before. My husband hadn't noticed it before either. Mm. Um, and I thought, oh, okay, that's new. Maybe it's a blood blister from the chafing because it was some pretty significant chafing that, I, that had occurred. Um, and so I just thought, oh, yeah, it's a blood blister. It'll go, you know, it'll go. I'll just leave it. But then a week later... I, um, I took the twins over to go and visit my parents. Um, my dad is a plastic surgeon and um, one of the things that he did or does is melanoma management and he's seen more melanomas than, you know, I've had Maltesers. He's had so he just sees them all the time. Um, and he said when he saw it, his heart just sank to the bottom of his stomach because he knew that it was nasty. And he said, you know, he just said, Sarah, that's not a blood blister. You need to get that out. ASAP, um, I'm going to ring a colleague right now and see if they can do it this afternoon. And I started freaking out and thinking, goodness gracious. And mum was like, oh, my God, you know, you're scaring her, don't, you know. Mm. He said, no, no, that's bad. And he said to me later that um, he could actually almost see my future as a result of this mould, which um, was pretty scary, actually, to hear. But um, my mum's also a nurse and she was his practice manager. And so when, you know, she took a look at it as well and just went, oh, God, yeah, that's bad. So within a week, um, the mole had been taken off um, and confirmed as a very aggressive and nasty malignant melanoma. Um, I was booked in for a wide local excision a few days later, which means they take out more skin and more of the margins and they... Um, also test sometimes they do they don't always do this but they test what's called the sentinel lymph nodes um, which are the lymph nodes around where the melanoma was and mine was right the sentinel lymph nodes were right underneath the um the the muscles underneath my scapula i can't remember my anatomy i'm sorry it's terrible but the lymph nodes were clear the margins were clear after the wide local excision so i was stitched up and told to go to the oncologist every three months for a checkup Mm -hmm. um, and blood tests because there are some certain blood tests that can detect um, any cancerous growth. So that's what I was doing. Got sent to an absolutely delightful um, uh, oncologist in Box Hill who I used to work with because this all happened at the hospital that I work at, which is awesome because I felt very safe and, mm -hmm. um, and very, very reassured being there. So that was terrific. That was in September of 2017. And everything was pretty smooth from there on in. And um, it was pretty scary. But that's, yeah, that was the initial journey. What did it actually look like? Like when you, when you looked at it and you thought it looked like a blood blister, when your father looked at it and your mum and they could tell that it was bad straight away by just looking at it, what was yeah. the features of what it looked like that made that stand out to them? Not that everybody um, who has a melanoma or a skin cancer on them is going to look like this, but what was it that yours looked like? Um, it was black, absolutely black. 
um, like a blood blister would be. It had irregular edges. Um, it was flat. Um, and it was about oh, 0.5 centimetres in diameter the whole way around. Um, it's really important for me to say, though, that that is not what all melanomas look like. Some melanomas will just look like a pink smudge and you wouldn't even guess. Some you can't even see. Yeah. You know, some are inside your eyes, under your toenails, all sorts of crazy places. But this one was, was black as black could be. Um, and I've never noticed it before, ever. It just... No crazy isn't it because you know life is busy you get out of the shower you dry your shoulder you don't look at bits of yeah. skin that's on your um shoulder blades um but yes it's um that that's that's how it looked mm. so it's amazing um, to think that you know if you hadn't have run that half marathon that day and that bra hadn't had chafed your shoulder you may not have found it for quite mm -hmm. a while Oh, yeah. that's right that's what my oncologist said he said that bad bra saved your saved your well it didn't save my life but at the time that's what we thought yeah, yeah. so you're absolutely right yeah. yeah amazing and i'm sure that that was a really scary time for you and your family as well um but i guess you thought okay well i've done what i needed to do and you went and you had the white excision and I had yeah. one of those as well when I had mine, you know, I watched them take that massive, massive chunk of skin away. Um, and, you know, I didn't have the sentinel node biopsy, um, mm -hmm. but knowing that I guess there was nothing there, then that probably, you probably thought gave you a little bit of peace of mind. Yes. Um, so what was the treatment after that? Was that it? And you just went to the every three months. So that's all you yeah. had to do. Every three months I went to the oncologist having had a blood test and I had to strip down to my undies and get, you know, um, checked over, including in my scalp and in my hair. Yeah. Um, about six months after I'd had the surgery, I got the flu vax because it's, well, it's not mandatory, but, you know, it's, it's free for healthcare workers. We got a, um, yeah. I got my flu vax. But a couple of days after that, I noticed that I had a lymph node in my neck here, which is about centimetres from where the melanoma was. I had a, an enlarged lymph node. And I thought, oh, my God, it's coming back. Hell. Um, I told my father, stupid thing to do, shouldn't have done that because that, you know, really stressed him out. But I went and I had to have it biopsied. Mm -hmm. Turns out it was a reaction to the flu vax. So thank God for that. <laughs> mm -hmm. But that was a real scare as well. And waiting that weekend to see if, you know, it had metastasized um, was not a nice experience. Um, but um, after that, everything was, was smooth sailing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was just fine. And you were still work because you're a diet, did you say dietitian? Yes, I'm a clinical dietitian. I work um, in hospitals with people on dialysis and kidney failure. Yeah. yeah. So you're working I... And, and I guess that was a good distraction, like, and, and obviously three children and all those things and got back into normal life. Um, exactly. Yep. Um, I even got back into running again, just little bits of running and loved it. And yeah, life was great. I was going to ask about the melanoma from was it you know do they think it's from being out in the sun or genetic because i know that sometimes they melanomas can be not particularly hereditary out in the sun i guess they don't ever really fully know but do they know for you what your whether your melanoma was more likely to be caused by the sun or from being just a genetic mutation well, that's, that's a really good question. I, I don't actually have um, genetic, one of the genetic mutations in my, in my melanoma, but my mother had two 
malignant melanomas removed that my father found. So <laughs> it's quite funny, isn't it? Um, hers hadn't metastasized. They were tiny and they were caught very early. So that's great. So we were wondering about the same thing. And I know my father had done a bit of research and written a paper on the immune um, response and how, you know, if your immune system is suppressed, somehow it can predispose you to certain cancers and melanoma is one of those. So there's that factor. Um, but look, the fact that I am basically a snowman um, in terms of skin colour and was out in the sun so much, I think, you know, that I'm a, I was a sitting duck, really. I think that was the biggest factor. So... When you found that first melanoma, what stage was it? Like, did they stage it? Stage one, two, three, what did they? Yeah, it was 1B because it was 1.2 millimetres deep. And anything over one is a 1B. Um, but it had a very, very fast mitotic rate, which is the rate of cell division. Um, and that's what sort of tipped it over into you know needing the lymph node biopsy and that kind of stuff so yeah it was 1b but it was a very aggressive fast growing one mm. yeah so were you one of these people that as soon as you found it were onto google dr google or were you like <laughs> i just don't want to know didn't go googling no um didn't really didn't really want to know too much about it my husband on the other hand is a an academic um a economist he has an academic background and so yeah he was banged straight into the research straight into you know google scholar and pubmed and all of that kind of stuff so yeah bless his heart <laughs> he did all the research for me um but um no i i was just like okay it's melanoma we've got to get rid of it that's it don't want to know yeah that's probably yeah. the best way to be too because i think you just stress yourself out about all the different scenarios and I don't even know. There's so much information out there about so many different things to do with melanoma or skin cancer. And I think you can almost, you know, freak yourself out by reading all of those things as well at that time, you know, you exactly. get, get the trick, get the treatment done and move on with your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's precisely what I was, what I try and say to my patients as well. It's like, don't, don't get into it. Don't, it's a rabbit warren and it will, your head will explode. Just don't yeah. do it. So before we go on, did you ever find another mole after that one that was diagnosed with no. melanoma? No, not any no. other moles or anything. No. No, nothing. Yeah. And it's fair to say I get checked pretty regularly. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> yeah, but no, that's it was just that one little bugger and that's it. So you had it removed, that was 2017, and you had the white excision and then you went every three months to your oncologist. And then I assume you just went back, you know, as you were with your life, yeah. active and with the kids and busy and working, all of that. And then in 2020, you noticed a change in your body at that time. And we'll go into what that actually transpired to. But did you wonder mm -hmm. at that time when you felt that initial change in your body that a melanoma had come back or were you just like, well, let's just talk about that experience now. So what was it? Yeah. Can you explain to everyone what happened and then why um, you eventually got checked out? Sure. Well, towards the end of 2019, um, I just started to feel absolutely exhausted all the time, like more than usual. Um, you know, I could sleep for Australia basically and you, you just can't when you've got all that stuff going on. Yeah. Um, 
and I went to see my GP thinking that I was perimenopausal because I had a lot of the symptoms that really seemed to fit that. Um, he actually diagnosed me with depression and sent me to go and get um, some counselling. Mm. And I can remember sitting in the second session going, I'm not depressed. I'm not a depressive person. I mean, all power to people who are and get it treated and everything like that. It's such a brave, strong thing to do. But I just thought, this isn't me. I'm not depressed. Um, what were some of the other symptoms that you were having? Oh, extreme fatigue. Yeah. Um, just sort of loss of self-confidence. Um, oh, do you know all those menopausal symptoms that, you know, you kind of, you know, I wasn't getting hot sweats as such, but I was finding I was gaining some weight and um, that was unusual because I tried to keep things quite steady. And, you know, unexplained weight gain as a dietitian is like, oh, what's going on here? You know, you automatically recognise it. Um, but I also started to develop this really crazy itch up and down my left calf and on my left foot. And it's like, you know, this is like having ridiculous eczema. Mm. And my oncologist thought it was eczema and told me to use some, you know, anti-inflammatory cream or whatever, but it got worse. And so by the start of 2020, I'd stopped going to see the psychologist because as gorgeous as she was, didn't really need to do that. Mm. Um, I was also starting to develop numbness in my left leg and pain in my left glute. And because I'd started doing some pretty decent running again, I mm. thought, oh, I've buggered up my piriformis or something's gone on. Um, and I've got an L4, L5 weakness anyway. So I thought, oh, hell. So, yeah, I got the roller out and was starting to, you know, stretch it out after runs and things like that. Um, but it started, the numbness started to develop into pain and the pain was actually pretty intense. And I thought, oh, this isn't muscular. This feels worse. Um, the numbness wasn't getting any better either. My entire left foot, I basically couldn't feel it gnaw up my left calf. Mm. And also when I sat down, the whole, you know, groin area was, was numb as well. So I went to see the GP and this all happened on my birthday because <laughs> I'd, I'd spoken to my parents and I'd told dad and I said, oh, yeah, I've got this numbness. And he just said, Jesus, Sarah, get to the doctor right now because he knew. Mm. He knew exactly. Um, what was going on and so went to the GP got evaluated he said you need to see a neurosurgeon go to the Epworth hospital this afternoon this guy will see you I had an MRI and it confirmed there was a tumor at the T11 vertebrae of my spine they didn't know what sort of tumor it was because they can't you know you can't really diagnose with an MRI yeah. um, but that was the beginning of the whole process so the start of January 8th of January 2020 is D-Day. That's when it all happened. So, yeah, confirmed it wasn't a muscular injury, um, but there was a tumour causing the problem, and it was intramedullary, which meant it was actually inside the spinal cord. So it, if it were operated on, I'd be a paraplegic, right. which made me think how fast would my half marathon times be if I was in a wheelchair? Ah. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? That was the first thing I thought of. But, yeah, that's, um, that was the upshot of it all. So mm. that's how it all got discovered. Wow. This is a lot to deal with, isn't it? <laughs> Look, it is. And um, I had a PET scan a few days later, which is a scan that you have to detect any active cancer. And that's when they also found that there was some um, metastases in my lungs. Um, so that's what classified it as a stage four melanoma, that it had spread beyond the, um, yeah, the initial site. So that was that. And in the yeah. last three years that you were seeing the oncologist, nothing sort of came up in any of those blood tests or anything to indicate that this had travelled through your body? 
Not a thing. The only thing that um, was the numbness. And even then, you know, how, how vague a symptom is that? Well, that's I mean, right. it's obviously right. neurological. We all deal with that piriformis issues and all those things quite often. Yep, exactly, exactly. And I'm such a slacker when it comes to stretching before a, before a run that, you know, I've, I've tweaked muscles left, right and centre. So, you know, it was an obvious conclusion to make. But, you know, that was, that was the only signal. Yeah. So what was that journey like at that time for you, finding that out? How did you deal with that news when you found out that it was in your spine and obviously then in your lung? What happened then, like emotionally for you? I imagine that was a very big blow. Yeah. Husband, you've got three little kids. Um, and what did that actually mean for you moving forward? Well, I rang my husband who was at work. Um, I rang my parents, which was one of the hardest phone calls I've ever had to make in my life. And my husband, we just, when he got home from work, because he came straight home, we just sat at the table and just cried, cried and cried and cried. Um, but knowing the advances in um, melanoma therapy with, you know, immunotherapy, everyone knows what Jared Roughhead's been through, Ron Walker, you know, it, it's, it's a game changer. It really is. Um, so we were yet to hear about that at that stage. But, um, yeah, it was, you know, your heart drops to your stomach, basically. It's just time stands still. It was a horrible, horrible day. But mum and dad came straight over. Dan came straight home. We opened up a bottle of, I can't remember what it was, but we drank it very quickly. <laughs> uh, and then we had another one. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it, was, it was a grim day. And the kids, we, yeah, it was a hard one with the children. We had to tell them that, you know, okay, mummy's just found out that she's pretty sick because um, I had to front up at the hospital um, the next morning at 0700 hours for more MRIs, another CT, um, blood test. I had to be inpatient for a few days and have um, a biopsy of the lung tumours, mm. which didn't end up happening because they were too badly hidden and I had to go and have surgery and actually have them removed and then go to ICU afterwards and all, blah, 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 you know, all this sort of stuff. Mm. Um, so that was pretty tricky. Ultimately, mm. it all moved very fast. Within 24 hours, yeah, I was in surgery. So wow. <laughs> there you go. You always yeah. didn't have time to process it all. It was, was like a whirlwind. Yeah. That's exactly right because I started the immunotherapy two days after that and um, I can just remember sitting in the chair there. Um, Dan had to go home with the children and um, I just sat in that chair and just cried because mm -hmm. it was just like, all right, what has just happened to me? My world has turned upside down. And yet we were still to hear about the whole coronavirus hoo-ha. Don't yeah. get me started on that. But um, it's, <laughs> it was just like being hit by a train. Mm. Yep. So that was Hardcore. in January this year. Correct. Yep. yep. Yeah. Within about a week. So you started on immunotherapy. Was that like a clinical trial or was that... I'm not sure how it works with the, the drugs. They yeah. yeah. Well, the, there are several different pathways that you can go down. And um, immunotherapy is a fantastic, um, obviously it's fantastic. It depends if you have a certain mutation present. It's called the BRAF gene. Mm -hmm. And if you, have, if you don't have the mutation, then you go for a certain branch of immunotherapy, which is intravenous, which is what I did because I didn't have the mutation. Um, 
or if you do have the mutation, you can go to oral immunotherapy, which is where you take tablets four times a day and it's, it's done that way. Um, the management is the same in that you're still having regular scans, you're still having regular blood tests and that kind of thing. Um, but I was having IV drugs every three weeks. They're extremely powerful and some of their um, side effects are really, really grim. Mm. And I was unlucky enough that after my third cycle, um, and you, you're only meant to have four of this particular immunotherapy. But after my third cycle, I developed hepatitis, which is a, you know, a, liver, a liver inflammation. I got a nasty rash and also um, colitis, which is inflammation of the bowel. Now, they're all really common side effects, but if they're left untreated, they can be life-threatening. Mm. And so back into hospital, in, out, in, out. I had about three admissions in about three or four weeks um, having intravenous steroids to try and get all that under control. Um, so I didn't, I didn't get to have my fourth cycle because um, yeah, there was just too big a risk and I was stuck on massive doses of steroids, mm -hmm. which I'm still on. Yeah. No, eight months later, which I weight gain, moon face, hello. It's all delightful. There's a whole stack of side effects attributed to prednisolone index and methasone that completely suck. But, you know, hey, you're alive. What's yeah. the, you know, you can't complain. Um, but, yeah, the, the side effects can be pretty grim. Mm. Um, but ultimately, it's a sign that the immunotherapy is working. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. So what, what is immunotherapy? Like I know a lot of people when they talk about cancer, they talk about chemotherapy and radiotherapy. What does immunotherapy do exactly? Well, it, it basically potentiates your immune system to fight the cancer. Nice. Um, normally you're given at the outset or at the beginning you're given two different types. One unlocks the, the T-cells or makes more T-cells to fight. And the other one unlocks your immune system to make it more accessible for the T-cells to come and fight it. Um, and it's, um, yeah, I, I, I wish I could give you a proper detailed pharmacological explanation of it all. Um, but it's just about basically boosting your immune system um, to, to fight the cancer. And so then if you have side effects, they give you the steroids to suppress your immune system to kind of, you know, take foot off the accelerator and just calm, calm the farm a bit, basically. Yeah. So that's how it works. Um, and because, you know, as I said earlier, it is such an immune modulated type of cancer, it responds incredibly well to these drugs. And, you know, now if you had stage for melanoma diagnosis you basically had a life expectancy of three years and if you were lucky maybe you might fall into a 15 percent group of people who lived longer than that but three or four years was generally the the prognosis but now over 50 percent of people are living 10 years plus perfectly no evidence of disease it's extraordinary what these drugs do it's amazing just didn't work for me but never mind <laughs> um yeah we'll, we'll get into that <laughs> Let's just talk about, you know, were you still being able to be active during the time that you had this initial treatment? Absolutely. Yep. Coronavirus notwithstanding, um, you know, and lack of people to actually go walking with because I previously we decided to train for Coast Trek, which is a 60-kilometre walk through the um, Mornington Peninsula National Park. So, you know, I was doing 10, 12-kilometre walks um, 
most days my one of my parents would come over at a time and we'd go for a big walk or that sort of thing so yeah being active was essential and I was trying to do something every day I'm not a swimmer so um yeah it's just all about putting runners on really it was either walking cycling with the family um until my balance was really bad and I just thought no I'm gonna fall off um but yes is the short answer how did that make you feel like being able to, I know running obviously was probably out of the books just because of the stress that that's going to put on your body, but never mind, you're out there and you're being active. How did that yeah. make you feel being able to be also in control of your body, being able to do that? Because I guess a lot of it was yeah. being able to have control over all this stuff happening to your body. What did that do for your mental health? Nicole, you are absolutely right. Control is a big thing. And I am very much um, someone who appreciates control over my body. Um, but no, it, it was fabulous because, I mean, everyone knows what the runner's high is like. And, um, you know, given that obviously running was pretty tricky at that time with a numb leg, um, walking was just, oh, it was the best, you know, knowing that you could get out for two hours and Back then it was still warm and sunny and it was lovely and it was it was the best. Yeah. It was so empowering. Yeah. And also being able to go with a friend or with my parents, you know, to you chat, you catch up. I mean, well, yeah, you know what it's like. It's yeah. just the best. And that's the, yeah. that's what we do. You know, apart from the when we do these things for ourselves, you know, for our challenge that we might give ourselves with running or whatever it might, whatever someone's pursuit might be, swimming, cycling, whatever it may be, we really do it for that connection with someone else as well. That's what it actually means to me more than the running. It's just yeah. somewhere beautiful and having sharing in those experiences is more important to me than the running itself. One of the things that I love too was um, my husband took up running um, after we'd done the Gold Coast Half Marathon. He was sitting there listening to me talk about stats and numbers and splits and blah de blah de blah. And being an economist, he just went, "Oh bugger this for a bunch of bananas! I'm going to do it too." So he downloaded, you know, Couch to 10Ks, and 12 months later, he's doing half marathons. So yeah. I was training with him. And that was one of the loveliest things. I mean, he's much faster than me. He's tall and thin and has, you know, a marathon for runner's physique. I'm more of a um, shot put physique. Um, <laughs> but, um, but that was one of the biggest things as well, you know, it was just being, having time with him. We call them our yeah. running dates and it was great. Yeah. Is there other things that you did with, you know, to, to help you mentally through that time when you first had that treatment? Um, look, probably just talking um, with beautiful friends and family because, you know, with our school community, I have the most divine group of mums. There are about 10 of us who are as close as anything and we just would do anything for each other. Um, we've all got our beautiful old girlfriends from high school that, you know, you would die for. And I've got a few of those who are so incredibly special and, you know, I've talked to them. Um, my family, we're incredibly close. My parents. Um, so yeah, very fortunate to have an incredible support network. Very, very fortunate. And how did you cope with like being, you know, having the treatment in January now that was just before coronavirus hit our nation. You really just started the crux of all that treatment when everything started to close down. So how did that affect you? in going and having treatment and also you being able to spend time with those people that you wanted to spend time with 
obviously yeah. also being able to get outside and those sorts of things. How did that affect you and your experience? Um, well, it sucked, frankly. Um, <laughs> but um, there was always that clause of caregiving um, that meant that my parents could come over and, and do things and bring food and, you know, we'd go for walks together and that this is in the initial stages. Um, and plus a lot of my beautiful mama friends um, live around the corner or down the street. So I know I could still see them, but you know, all my other friends all live Bayside and you know, that's 15 kilometers away and I couldn't see them. I still haven't seen them for months and months. Um, but you know, on, on the other hand, it actually made things a lot easier because my immune system was so suppressed, taking so many steroids that I was quite at risk of catching anything not just the coronavirus but also things like um you know gastro a normal cold this that the other you know so having that lockdown and enforced time and home was actually quite helpful because i could isolate myself and um and sort of reduce the risk of, of getting anything but it also made me stop and go all right well i can't go into work anymore um, I'll just have to do telehealth things. So I had to make sure I was organising that very carefully. Um, but also I just had to drop down into second gear yes. and have a snooze in the afternoon. And I still do have a snooze every afternoon and it's bloody fabulous. I love it. <laughs> so it's, um, yes. there, there are some silver linings, but overall I'd say the scales definitely lean towards sucking. But anyway, yeah. you know. Well, being down in Victoria as well, like you are really locked down, down there. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. so it's almost bordering on like really unfair. Like you can't see your own family. Like how's that, like you were saying to me earlier that you, you haven't seen your parents in a little while. So how is that for you and them, I guess, at this stage? Um, they are people worried that some because I mean I'm in a really great space at the moment feeling terrific and feeling healthy but who's to say that you know the trouble with having these other these other secondaries means that you know the risk of having a seizure or whatever is always in the front of your mind so they are always worried about it um but yeah it's just it's, it's hard but then everybody's going through the same thing you know at least we haven't had to you know lose someone we love and not be able to go to the funeral or um you know not meet a grandchild for three months or something like that so it could be a lot worse but it's still um oh it's just yeah it's crap you mentioned that you had these other secondary um tumors so let's just talk about that now so in june you noticed something different about what was going on and the cancer had metastasized to your brain yep um I, about yeah start of june end of may i started getting some really nasty headaches and i'm not normally a headachey kind of person you know how some people are sort of predisposed to migraines and that kind of thing um i'm not like that but i was having headaches that were like knitting needles being stuck into my head and it was it was debilitating i knew something wasn't right and so um went and rang my oncologist some scans i had mri ct blood tests the usual um, revealed that i had pretty extensive spread of metastasis um, through my meningi meninges which is the layer of the brain um, it's not actually inside the brain it's surrounding it and it's like it spreads rather than being discrete tumors 
so it's a bit harder to tackle. And it's called leptomeningeal disease, and it has an absolute bit of a prognosis of four to six weeks if it's left untreated. It's not a common complication, but brain metastases in general are for melanoma quite common. Um, so I got sent off within a few days um, for a week of whole brain radiotherapy. Um, and then my husband and I obviously completely shell-shocked and utter, I, I can't explain to you the feeling of devastation we had that day. It's just impossible to describe. And have, again, having to tell my parents that was another conversation that yeah you could certainly do with that um but it um it led to seeing um people for a second opinion and talking to other oncologists which my oncologist encouraged and trying to figure out what to do so, so are there any or have you started any other treatment options for that brain metastasis yes i have and this is the thing um because as I said, you know, this was, this was back in June that this diagnosis happened. And with the prognosis typically being so short, um, you know, I, I should have been dead weeks ago. Um, but um, he and this amazing woman, Belinda Lee at, um, at Peter McCallum, um, discussed things and they devised, or he devised, Philip Parenti is my oncologist's name and he's an angel on earth. I hope he gets to hear that. Um, but, sure he will. But he, um, <laughs> but he um, devised a new immunotherapy regimen, um, which I'm doing currently every fortnight, and I'm about to have round seven. Um, so, and I feel a million bucks. I don't look at it. I look a million kilos, but I don't feel, you know, I feel, no, that's a horrible thing to that's say. That's not true. What you look like. Not look a million. I'm looking right at you and you do not look a million. <laughs> but you actually, to me, you actually look really quite well. Like, you know, people don't, I guess this is one thing too, that just because somebody has terminal cancer or any disease, you can't always see it. Like it's something that you can't always see on someone. Oh. You know, you often think of someone who has cancer as being really sick looking and yeah. you don't look like that. So obviously things are helping in that regard with your medication that you're taking or the immunotherapy that you're taking. Yeah. But also um, it just goes to show that we don't always know what someone's going through, right? On Facebook. Yeah. No, you're spot on. And that's such a lovely thing to say too, Nicole. Thank you so much. Look, I think the baldness probably gives it away, um, you know, to, to an extent, because, yeah, it's a pretty decent shiny head I've got here, but that's oh, all right. Yeah. But as far as the weight goes, you know, I mean, you know, I say, oh, 12 kilos, bloody blah, but I really don't give a stuff. No. And, you know, one thing you learn as a dietitian, certainly, you know, is that body image is such a tricky thing to navigate and look i'm not going to get into that whatsoever mm. but um you know it, it, a stint of rowing lightweight when i was at university um put did a bit of a number on um on me with regards to body image and all of that kind of stuff so i'm super super aware mm. of saying particularly because i've got two little girls yeah. and you know we laugh about the fact that oh look at mummy's belly woohoo look how you know watch it you know do you remember the truffle shuffle from the goonies oh my gosh we laugh about that it's so silly but look it, it doesn't matter a damn it doesn't yeah. matter a damn it's a bit uncomfortable because it's um you know, I obviously I can't run anymore as a result. But um, but um, look, 
I think having the chance to relax so much here, the medication and this new drug regimen and having done the radiotherapy, I think has been incredible. My oncologist just says, you know, every time I see you, you look better. You have outlived my expectations. Um, you know, he said, go ahead and start planning Christmas, which, you know, I was like, oh, my God, I burst into tears of happiness hearing that one because I didn't think that would be the case. Yeah. Um, and so I, I like to think that I'm sort of living with cancer rather than dying from it. And um, that seems to fit the bill at the moment because I feel really well. Yeah. So bring it on. And it's Long working. answer to a short question again. Sorry. It's working for you, you know, and I think that's really good because that was one of my questions that I was going to ask you was how, and I'm sure there are times when, you know, you have that really beautiful positive outlook, which I think is amazing. And that's, and that's going to help a lot. I think having that outlook that you're living with it and you want to live with it for a long time. How do you manage your own processing of that grief and and the waves that it comes in I'm sure and how do you manage everybody else's or do you feel like you need to even manage everybody else's feelings well I'm a I'm a healthcare worker and so that's kind of one of the things that's kind of a prerequisite yeah. is that you're always trying to you know fix other people um, and I've been like that ever since I can remember but yes you are absolutely correct in that um you know, there's not a lot of time necessarily to focus on my own grief. And I think because I've been working with chronic illness for the best part of, you know, 22 years, um, I have this sort of ability to kind of remove and look look from the outside. Like when we were first told about the, um, the brain metastases, my first thought was, oh, okay, um, uh, okay, what am I going to, you know, how long is this going to be? Am I going to be able to get, teach the kids everything they need to know in that time? You know, it was more kind of pragmatic stuff. Um, like, okay, who's going to get my wedding ring? Who's going to get this necklace? Who's going to get that? Oh, God, I've got to sit down and play. You know, but it was sitting down and thinking about it in quite a, um, a an ordered fashion, yeah. you know, rather than going to pieces and dissolving and, um, I, and I didn't, I didn't really, I shed a few tears, but, um, subsequently there have been many, many, many more tears. Um, but again, it's just, you know, you have a quick cry, move on, talk to some other people about it and how they're feeling. Um, but yeah, the, the others, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of discussions, particularly with my parents and my brother. I think they, they have found this very, very hard. My mother said this is the hardest, the worst thing that's ever happened to us, mm. which is not easy to hear from your mum. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of talking, there's lots of supporting, and it's actually quite a nice change in focus to talk to somebody else about what they're going through because mm. I don't like focusing on myself. I don't want to talk necessarily heaps about how I'm feeling and how my heart is and how my head is and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, it's weird. I didn't think I would be able to be quite so, um, well, not removed from it, but just kind of um, measured, I guess you could say. Yeah. That's a bit of a protective mechanism on your behalf, not only for yourself, but for everyone else a little bit. Yep, definitely. Yeah, definitely. If you weren't so measured, you might just fall to pieces. <laughs> yep. Exactly. But, you know, I mean, you're a mum. When you've got little kids, you, you have to front up. 
you know you can't fall to pieces we've had some conversations with my, with my children particularly my nine-year-old that have absolutely locked me at the knees yeah. like um it was her ninth birthday a few weeks ago and she said mommy this is going to be my last birthday with you isn't it and i oh, oh my god I, I stopped breathing and um so we talked about it and she went to bed and I went to talk to Dan and just lost it, absolutely lost it. Mm. One small comment and bang, you know, it just crystallises everything. I guess, are there things that you do together that create those really special memories for her? Yeah. Mm. Oh, look, she loves cooking. And so we're writing a recipe book together. Um, my son loves Harry Potter. So we're watching all the movies together. And we're going to go and do a potion making course. Um, my other little daughter loves, oh, she loves all sorts of things, animals and things. So we'll go and have a day at the zoo, or, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we're focusing on all of those kind of things. But they do, they understand and they understand more than you think. Yes. Um, so, yeah, they're very perceptive little, little people. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a list of things now, like, that you think you want to do? <laughs> like, oh, know, yeah. Most people oh, would definitely. be like, you know, they've got their bucket list, but what are the things that you would want to do now? I mean, let's pretend coronavirus doesn't exist, but oh, okay. <laughs> even right. if it that does, so uh, like, you know, what are the things that you find are important now that you really want to do? Well, um, I would love to go to New York for two weeks with my husband. That would be the ultimate, um, but <laughs> that ain't going to happen. Never mind. Um, <clears throat> but um, I had planned to go out for high tea with Alice. We booked the Windsor, which is all very nice and posh, and she'd been practising her table manners. Um, but then, yeah, lockdown happened. Um, I planned a special day with each of the kids. We'd mapped out, you know, breakfast to dinner all of these wonderful things but yeah again coronavirus came along so that would have been amazing um eliza and i were going to go to the zoo we were going to go to the docklands and eat ice cream there's a beautiful gelati place down there um yeah, we were going to do a whole lot of harry potter things with with jack um but um obviously that didn't transpire we were going to go to the gallery after high tea with alice mum was going to come with my niece and my sister-in-law, who's exactly the same age as Alice. So, you know, we had all these things planned. Uh, but, you know, but also just little things, you know, like um, hanging out with my mum and going shopping or just out for a coffee or, you know, sitting down and just um, maybe going for a big walk and going out for lunch with my dad, and um, which hopefully be able to do now. Um, but just, yeah. you know, have a weekend away with my, because I have one brother, we were going to plan a weekend away down at our family beach house and just the four of us and just go down for 48 hours and, you know, shoot the breeze, hang out, do whatever. And that can't happen. Not at the moment Not anyway. Right. So there were lots of things that we planned to do. Go out for special dinners with my husband and yeah. oh, anyway. Well, you know, in the next few weeks, hopefully things will open up and you'll get to do all those things. And, you know, the theme of all those things that you want to do is that you want to do stuff with the people that you care about most and that you love, you know, and that's what oh, yeah. everybody wants, right? Um, so do you have any other goals or anything that you still want to work towards at the moment? I know obviously you're not running right now, but is there anything that you think, you know what, 
I'm going to do X, Y, Z. No, one thing that, um, that I've become quite passionate about is I really want to start doing a bit more kind of message promotion about all of this sort of stuff. Because like, there are some incredible organisations um, out there to support people who've got melanoma, right from, you know, an in-situ one to, you know, yucky, scary um, stage four. Yeah. But it's, um, you know, things like promoting messages like, you know, the whole slip, slop, slap, seek, shade and slide on sunglasses. Those are the last two that got added, I think. Yeah, anyway. Um, but no, just I just want to make sure that, um, you know, I've had some great times with friends and family, but not over Zoom mm. or over house party or anything like that. You know, actually giving people decent hugs and just, you know, being with the people that you love yeah. and doing things and knowing in my heart that I have done for them what I wanted to do and you can't really pinpoint what that might be but you'll know when you've done it you know because we have just been surrounded by love with with people from from the people who you know we, we care about and being able to repay that somehow while I'm here would be I think that would be an ultimate but the, the other thing too is that it's um you know there, there's so much amazing support there's an incredible Facebook group that um that i've been a part of for a few months now that's called melanoma patients australia mm. um you know they're one of those sort of um not-for-profit volunteer-run organizations and they um their facebook group is extraordinary again it's like people you've never seen or met in your life but you can pour out your heart and say you know some incredibly intimate and in-depth things and again they just surround you with love and and support and it's just beautiful so supporting that organization is very important to me as well and i hope to be around for as long as i can so i can you know do things like that um but um i think you know having those sort of people who you've never seen before saying okay if you're in melbourne come to the party i'd love to see you and um and meet you and one person you know i've connected really well with is um yeah she's she's just divine and it's like wow you're like you might you're my new bff oh, and um i guess you both understand what it's like too because you're oh yeah <laughs> and that's <laughs> important like what does that mean to you to have those people i mean it, isn't Facebook an amazing thing? Like, who would have well, thought yeah. have these amazing networks of people? But, you know... If well, you, hello. Yeah, look what you've created. Right. You wouldn't have that support on that level. And actually, at the moment, it's really important to have that network of people because you can't go out of the house. So they're online and they're there for you yeah. anytime you need them. So what That's does exactly that mean right. for you right now, having that support? Like, and you can't leave... Oh. <laughs> it, well it's the it's the best because you know somebody said on a post recently you know there's always going to be someone who's awake and who can you know just you know shoot a few words of wisdom or just listen or whatever i mean they're the most amazing bunch and they organize all these webinars and fantastic things and you know fundraise and all that i had to sneak that in um well, we'll, we will put the in the show notes i'll put um oh because I actually, I said to them that I was doing, well, I just put a post and said, you know, is there anything in particular that you think really needs to be promoted, the messages? And it's, it's all the same sort of stuff, you know, like make sure you check your skin, act on gut instincts. And if you think something is wrong, like you did with your mole, you know, you weren't sure, but you went and got a check because you were just like, mm, this looks dodgy. Never, ever, ever ignore your gut instinct. 
um, always go and get an annual checkup, even if you think it's not going to be a problem. But also that stage four diagnosis isn't necessarily a death sentence either because of these new drugs and, um, you know, it's just, there's so many messages and there are so many outlets that need to be created to promote those messages. Because um, melanoma is such a crazy, weird, unpredictable cancer. So, yeah. You're doing You've, such a good job even today being on here because that is the start of you doing what you want to do with promoting Oh, well, thank you. Oh, I'm just really grateful and very honoured, frankly, and humbled that you um, thought it was worth <laughs> worth listening to. Because oh, it, it is... Um, it's worth listening to. I mean, this is so important and something that's so close to my heart. I... I would never have expected to have a diagnosis of a melanoma on my own body. Like, so yeah. to be able to share the, about the awareness of, and not just melanoma, skin cancer in general, I've had quite a few different skin cancers, squamous cells, basal cell, have melanoma. You? Yeah. Oh gosh, Nicole, that's melanoma. really confronting. <laughs> like, wow. So, you know, it's so important because there's so many people in Australia that, are going to suffer from skin cancer and it's huge yeah and it can be it can be it can be treated if you get it early but it can be stopped if you you know, yeah, it's, it's exactly correct. Yeah. So, so well, well done to you for doing it. And that's, um, gee, that's a really full on journey that you've been on as well. And it, it's scary. As you say, it's like, how dare there be cancer in my amazing body that I have checked and looked after so beautifully. And I mean, you, you must be one of the fittest people on the planet. Yeah. Um, I'm and, fit, but I, well, I'm kind of fit, but <laughs> Uh, hello, hundred kilometer trail runs. My yeah, God. But I think I think the the thing is when you know we talk about and and we'll we'll say exactly again in a minute about those risk factors and things that we need to look for. But when I think of my own experience, even when I had that melanoma on my leg, I left it for quite a while, thinking, oh, you know, I don't want to seem over dramatic or over cautious about something. They're just going to say, oh, that's nothing, but. I think mm. if you have that gut feeling that yep. something's not right, as you said, yep. get it checked. Absolutely. It <laughs> Do not hesitate. No, because the thing is, it's like a lot of ambulance drivers say about people who have heart attacks and it turns out to be indigestion. It's mm. like, well, <laughs> we'd rather know and be proven wrong um, than, than worry. So you're absolutely correct. Never, ever, ever ignore a gut instinct. And you just never know what it's going to be. Yeah. Get checks. Um, you know, if you've got an enlarged lymph node that feels a bit funky, go and get it checked. So what are uh, some of the things that people should look out for in terms of when they're checking their skin, any types of skin cancer, particularly melanoma, as we're talking about in this um, podcast, what are some yeah. of the things that people should look out for? So a mole that might look different to some any other mole in your body? Anything or else? new, a new mole as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, if it's changed shape or changed colour is another big one. But also to recognise they're not necessarily black or dark brown. It could just be, like I said before, it could just be a pink smudge next to a brown spot. Um, usually melanoma are flat. Um, they've got irregular edges, but again, that's not always the case. Um, there are other sorts of melanoma, like ocular melanoma, which is quite, it's quite rare that that happens on the inside of the eye. There's a thing called a mucosal melanoma, which is different again. Um, 
that some people don't even know where their primary melanoma was. They've just got the secondaries and they know it has the characteristics of melanoma, but they can never find the primary. Mm. Um, but it's usually, it's looking for new spots. Um, they can be itchy as well, um, which mine was, because I, yeah, again, I thought it was a blood blister and obviously the chafing was, <laughs> was really bad. Um, but also if you noticed any enlarged lymph nodes, that's a really important diagnostic factor in more advanced melanoma but you know they might be sort of here in your um you know in your clavicle underneath your your um what do you call it collarbone um under your arms in the groin all of those kind of areas so you're not going to necessarily go around checking all your lymph nodes but you know if you're shaving under your arms have a quick feel or that kind of thing so that there's lots to look for mm. but the most important thing is just yeah wear things that cover your skin and just get sunscreen on and especially that message needs to be promoted to kids as young as they can be to, to get that message. Those messages are becoming more clear, but I think, and I think the younger that we share that with our children, that it's just routine and it's a habit that when you're going outside, you put sunscreen on, you wear a hat, it's yep. going to become normal to them. You've just got to keep driving at home. Yeah. Just keep messaging. You're doing a really good job of sharing <laughs> oh, thank you. with us today. So before we stop, I just wanted to do the RMA hot lap. So I don't know if you've listened oh, to the yes. podcast yet, but we always do the RMA hot lap at the end. Yes, I love it. It's great. <laughs> good. I like it. <laughs> so there's a few different questions I've chucked in for you. Um, okay. The first one was, what is your favourite thing to wear when you go out? on your walks um i have a cap that is falling to bits from the 2015 half marathon that i wear because i love it um and that's just 2015 half marathon <laughs> because it was the one of the best days of my life so i love it it's absolutely falling to pieces but i love it and that's um i try and wear that every time i go out running or walking Okay, so what is one thing you can't go without on a long adventure? Would it be music. Or, oh, no, music. it's music. Good. Um, kind of music um, anything that is loud and fast um, when I'm running, um, which yeah, means I'm not running at night time because I just want music that blocks everything, mm. absolutely everything out. Um, so, yeah, sort of old 90s dance music or 80s, 80s dance music. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, things that are loud and fast. Mm. I'm not very sort of, you know, meditative or that kind of thing. I just no, haven't got time for that. No. Um, Have you got Spotify? Yep. They've, they've, um, one of the girls, Michelle, she put up a Spotify RMA playlist. You'll have to listen to oh. I'm writing that down. That sounds amazing. I bet it's incredible. It's really good. I mean, I'm not very good at that kind of thing, but Michelle did it and she's just put in a great compilation of all these songs and they're awesome to run to and walk to. So great. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's terrific. Okay. The next question, what is the best advice that you've been given on your journey? Oh, gee, that's a really hard question to answer because there's so much advice that we've been given i think probably one of the best ones is just go one day at a time mm. like and that. just be kind to yourself 
So what is one word to describe your journey so far? Multicolored. Mm. Which is sort of, I don't know, it's a way of saying never a dull moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Oh, no. That's not one word, but um, yeah, multicolored. I think would probably sum it up, or multi. Um, I don't know, roller coaster. Without sounding too kind of cliched. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a tricky one. Yeah, because I thought right. if you meant running journey, I was going to just say awesome because I've ticked off all the bucket list things on my running journey that I wanted to do. Mm. Never one for a full marathon, um, but um, yeah, that's a hard one. Mm. Mm. So, you know, you have you've really literally yeah. been riding the roller coaster. So, well, that's it. But because there there are good things to consider. Absolutely. You know, like I said before, you find out just what people mean to you when you have a crisis, mm -hmm. and you find out just how your capacity to deal with a crisis is, and it can actually be hugely empowering and uplifting. And thinking, hey, I'm actually okay with this. You know, I'm not as hopeless as I thought or I've, I actually have got a spine in there somewhere you know it's um it can be hugely um yeah empowering I think mm. so you have to stick with that you've definitely been empowering and inspiring to me um on oh, thank you and I know that this conversation is going to be so powerful for so many women out there oh god I hope so men who are listening but you know you've been really brave in sharing and I just know that it's going to resonate with so many people out there. Um, oh, that's so wonderful to hear, Nicole. And like I said to you, thank you so much for giving me the chance to tell it. Um, because, yeah, it, it means a huge amount to me to be able to share it. It's a real honour. But thank you for saying such lovely things. That's super kind of you. Oh, and right back at you. You should feel very proud of what you've achieved such that you can do this kind of thing. It's amazing. Oh, it's a gift. It really is like an absolute mm -hmm. blessing to be able to do work like this. Um, I can imagine. Be able to meet such beautiful people such as yourself and hopefully we get to have that wine together. I, like I said, I'm holding you to that. Whether I come north or you come south, I will hold you to that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we can do it in um, New York. <laughs> now you're talking, sister. Now you're talking. <laughs> 2021. So where could people find out, like, do you have an online presence that people can follow your journey or is there somewhere where somebody could also get more information like you've mentioned before about skin cancer and the dangers of melanoma? Um, I will put in the show notes, the Melanoma Patients Australia website page or Facebook page, but yep. the other places that people can go to get access to these services and support as well. There are some amazing organisations. As I said, the Melanoma Institute Australia is based in Sydney and they're not-for-profit who do incredible things. And I can um, send you some website. I like the website. Well, actually, I can tell you. It's just www.melanoma.org.au. Mm -hmm. um, and they're incredible. Um, the Melanoma Patients Australia is a patient support network that, as I mentioned before, it's got an incredible Facebook page. Um, but they also, um, within, they're linked to the Melanoma Institute and they have a, um, uh, they've just managed to create a service where they have a nurse that they can call, that people can call for support. She's incredible. I keep saying incredible. I know it's terrible to keep repeating that, but 
they really are. Um, but they're one of the peak bodies in Australia that sort of oversees fundraising, research, um, that kind of stuff. Of course, there's also the Cancer Council, which is, a, you know, they, they do amazing things as well. And their number's 131120, so that's easy. And it's just, you know, cancer.org.au is the website. But they have a huge amount of resources on... Um, not just melanoma, but treatment like radiotherapy, immunotherapy. They've also produced a really, really beautiful resource about how to explain cancer, whether it's early stages or late stages to children and how to discuss it with kids. And they've broken it down into different age groups as well. So it's a, that's a really, really lovely resource if anyone needs it. Those are the three main ones that I would say you get the bulk of the information from. But also, you know, talk to your doctor. I mean, GPs aren't always experts in skin cancer, but they certainly know who to send you to. Mm. Um, so talk to people, you know, if you know people who've been through stuff or if, um, yeah, again, your GP, if you're worried about something, talk to them. Mm. Don't stay silent. Ask questions. You know, if you're unfortunate enough to be in the position where you do have to contend with skin cancer, then, yeah, there is heaps of support, but not a lot of awareness. <laughs> so, yeah. Just well, actually, no. The the awareness is pretty good, but yeah, it just needs to needs to be hammered. Particularly because we're coming into summer now, UV rates are now at a stage where sunscreen and hats are recommended, and it's only the start of September. Oh, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, oh, it's been lovely talking to you as well. And like I said, it's so good to put a face to the name. Thank you so much for the opportunity. <laughs>